Good. Thank you. That was great. Good morning. Uh, welcome. It is uh, like vacation weekend. I'm glad to see you're all here. You didn't take off and go someplace. I guess the rain kind of screwed up somebody's plans. I don't know, but I'm glad that for my sake, I'm, that's, that's good. Anyway, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a, a series called Ruin to Renovation, and we are uh, going from the scriptures, but we're also kind of using Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, as a guide to that. So if it, and these sermons have been sort of like drinking from a fire hose. And if they stink, if you just hate the sermon, you can blame Dallas Willard. If you love it, you can blame me. Amen. That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I, I'm like collecting water bottles up here. Anyway. Um, uh, I am a little scatterbrained this morning. I just uh, you can pray for me if you if you like. Uh, we had John Samara. That that last slide was wrong. John Samara is, is not speaking next week. He spoke last week. I keep forgetting to change the slide. So, uh, but that was a good time to hear him. I feel like the the Holy Spirit really moved, uh, and and it was just really cool to hear the news and to see how everybody here responded to him uh, and his message. But but we left off two weeks ago talking about feelings and desires and passions uh, by exploring James 3.16, which says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Very true. Uh, Also, we looked in James 4, uh, verses 1 and 2, which says, uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. I I just think like this morning I was going through this sermon and I thought the scripture is so practical. It is so applicable and so practical to life. But it always comes with this subtle little like curveball. And it, it always seems to be the lordship of Christ, right? Like, in, in, in another thing, you might say, oh, you're fighting, why don't you sit and talk? You know, use logic, you know, that kind of stuff. But what he says to us is, you know, you, you, uh, you, you don't have because you don't ask God. There's some, something about me and Jesus always as it concerns my relationships with other people. And that's what we're, we've been talking about through this whole series, is just spiritual formation and growing up in Christ and being, becoming different. So we looked a couple, two weeks ago about how uh, at how a person only governed by their feelings or, or desires or passions uh, can be destructive to themselves and also to others, right? How modernity has produced a people which are overwhelmed with decisions. I think we all kind of feel that way. We're just overwhelmed with all the decisions we have to make. And due to a deep shift in worldview and the loss of community and the loss of our spiritual formation practices in society, we are left to make decisions almost totally based on our feelings, which is very unhealthy and very dangerous, to be honest. We also talked about God's ability, though, to bring change to a person, to restore healthy, emotional lives marked by godly self-control and good direction in life. And today, what we want to focus on is uh, we want to explore how the changed person in Christ identifies themselves with love and joy and peace. And those aren't necessarily feelings in and of themselves, 
But they are, rather they are conditions of the whole person. Love, joy, and peace as conditions that I live in. You know, but they, they do have characteristic positive feelings which accompany them as well. Right? They, do, they do come along with feelings. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23 outlines for us what the changed person in Christ looks like, at least in part. And he uses this image of fruit. Right? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and forbearance. And if you don't know what forbearance is, you can ask Siri. But it's basically self-control or, you know, not reacting, things like that. Kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? There is no law. Now, this, this fruit is in the singular voice. It's not like, you know, Mark is the fruit of self-control and Jen is the fruit of, like, you know, goodness, you know, and Jason is the fruit of everything wonderful. No. No, it's, it's not that. It, it, is, it is fruit in the singular voice. It's made up of, of all these different characteristics independent, interdependent of, of one another, right? If, we're, if it were an actual fruit, you might bite into it and you might taste forbearance and goodness and, and hints of kindness and, you know, notes of gentleness, you know, like you're drinking wine or something like that. With the three main characteristics of love and joy and peace overriding all these tastes. They're kind of like the, the greater flavors, the more dominant flavors. And then love would sort of linger on your tongue as an aftertaste, Right? Since those three are reminiscent of also of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is this all-binding agent, so to speak. They all go hand in hand, these things. They walk together. And we find that uh, when one grows in us, the others do as well, right? You can't have one of these things in that list in true measure without having the others in proper proportion, right? One complete fruit growing proportionately off the branches of our lives, filled with goodness, life-giving and pleasant, even in the midst of our pain and our suffering. So the question arises when you start thinking about these things is, am I more good? and more loving, and more peaceful, and more filled with joy than I was 10 years ago as a result of walking with Jesus. Is this fruit growing in me? And is my life producing it, right? Do I react better now to conflict than I did five years ago, right? Is there a progression in me? Is our anger and lust in me subsiding and being replaced by gentleness and self-control and forbearance and things like that. Now those questions aren't questions uh, to bring about guilt or shame if it's not really happening in your life or you don't feel like you can see it. That's not to produce guilt and shame in you. Rather, it is simply a mature step to do an emotional and spiritual inventory. By the way, we're going to be sending that out this week, uh, an emotional spiritual inventory. Uh, It'll go out through the community groups, but if you want one, email me and I'll send it to you. But remember, feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. 
just because we may feel guilt or shame doesn't mean that God is placing on the, that on us. That in itself might be the first and foremost tool in Satan's arsenal to keep us from spiritual growth, just to keep us guilt, feeling guilt and feeling shame all the time. If we feel that guilt and that shame in our lives, you know, our focus stays on the self, doesn't it? Did I say something wrong, Rach? <laughs> just kidding. Um, but we, you know, we stay focused on the self, feeling we'll never really measure up. Instead of on Christ's power, having our focus be on Jesus and his power and his righteousness over us, which has already made us perfect in the sight of God. Right? We've got to learn to take our negative feelings and that may be governing our lives back to the cross. Return, you know, like running to Jesus, returning to Jesus, allowing him to crucify those things in us that hold us back and replace them with life-giving attributes that we see in Galatians chapter 5. Wonderful things. Things of freedom. Now there is no false manufacturing of these things in any long-term sense. You can fake it for a little while, right? You can fake being a good guy for a little while. But it always comes out, right? Deception, even our own self-deception, always is, is always exposed. You ever figure that out in life? <laughs> you just can't hide. You can't. There's no cutting corners in the spiritual formation process. And becoming like Jesus, we must walk this out with him methodically and well. And when we do, when a person walks this out with Jesus, the person that is growing in this stuff, these attributes, goodness and kindness and forbearance and all those things, they are a formidable force for good in the world. There's something strong about them. They are hard, hardy, like long-lasting people. They are, they are unflappable. They are unshakable. They are hated by some, but they are respected by others. Because they are committed first and foremost to Jesus rather than satisfying the perceived feelings or the perceived felt needs of others. They may not feel the driving need to go along with all the cultural norm and popular waves of thought in society. They may just not be interested in that stuff. What's important to everyone else out there may not be important to them since they are pursuing Christ instead of selfish ambition or the applause of others. They're not tossed about on the waves of emotional groupthink. Feelings don't dictate their direction in life and how they react to everything. Although they are very deep people, they feel very deeply. They are moved. Everything in them is measured against Jesus. Everything in life is measured against Jesus. His message, His kingdom initiatives, His written word, given to us, revealed to us, that all holds total authority over their life. You know, and they, that's what they judge everything from. 
Hope is in short supply in a hopeless world. And hope is often even regarded as an adolescent fantasy, isn't it? You sound stupid when you sound too hopeful in some circles. Muslims, we heard from John last week that Muslims are losing hope in droves in Islam because Islam can't provide it. Just can't. Doesn't have it. Not within it. People flit from one empty philosophy to another looking for meaning, looking for hope, looking for something to sink their teeth in, finding only emotional uh, bankruptcy, hope, the bankruptcy of hope in them since they, th- those philosophies can't provide hope. They can't do it. It's not there. But Christ brings real hope to the world. And I could preach... 40 sermons on this point alone. He brings real hope to the world that is sealed, it is proved, and it is assured in the resurrection. If Jesus never rose from the dead, we wouldn't have any hope. If Jesus never rose from the dead, we'd be just another empty religion out there. We'd be another set of rules. But because he rose from the dead, we can now have hope. Amen. I'm glad you said amen. I, I, by the way, I love to hear that. It's, it says somebody's awake. But <laughs> Romans 8, 22 through 25 speaks of hope, doesn't it? It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Do you ever feel yourself groaning, just waiting for some, the good to be established in the world in the fullest sense of the word, Right? Not only so, but we ourselves who have, the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And what is that? That is the redemption of our bodies. That is the final coming of Christ. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Because you don't hope for what you got yesterday, Right? Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope and faith are also joined together at the hip as well, right? Hebrews 11.1 defines faith for us. It says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So hope and faith go hand in hand. They're inseparable. And as Romans 12, 12 tells us, joy joins in this chorus as well. It says, be joyful in hope, right? Be filled with it. Now describe to me how you can have faith without hope or hope without joy. And I will tell you that I just saw a flock of pigs flying south for the winter, right? Because you can't. You can't. They go together. One fruit growing in proportion. As followers of Jesus, we walk and we grow in these things. And Hebrews 11 outlines a bunch of other people who have done the same thing. All the, the faith decisions made by many figures throughout biblical history. If you ever read that chapter... How they put their hope in God. And in verse 27, in that chapter, it says this about Moses. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. 
See, brave people, people of faith, people of hope, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses walked away from what he could see, (laughs) from what he had, right? Four walls and a floor and a roof into what he could not see by faith, full of hope, and not disappointed in the end. Romans 5, 1 through 5, outlines for us how hope and faith bring us into a deeper, more satisfying life, even in the midst of suffering when it concerns our feelings, right? He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that is a legal term, meaning that we've been paid for, that we don't have uh, our debt against us anymore. God has taken it away. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that did that. Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. Now, standing, when, when we use that word, we mean, I mean, when you get the image of somebody standing, I mean, they're rooted, right? So that's where we stand, in Jesus, right? And, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, sorry, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I had to turn off the sound. It was beeping in my pocket, driving me crazy. So, Living under the conditions of faith and peace and hope, we grow into the reality of God's love towards us. That song we sang earlier was really apropos for this message. In the solidity of our position of being justified in Christ, right, we experience the peace of God. We stand firm. We stand up. We have a straight back in this relationship with us and Jesus since it's been done for us. We didn't do it ourselves. In verse 6, Paul says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, and I was powerless, and it's a wonderful thing to admit that, by the way, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for me. Uh, Amen. (laughs) Amen! Amen for that, because I couldn't do it. And if, when I get that, when I grab hold of that, we, we all, it, it leads us into deep character change. It does. It opens the way for change in my life. Since in Christ, the sufferings which may have destroyed me before now become formative for me. encompassing our whole being, right? A solid state in which to live. And in this progression of spiritual formation, feelings change over time to the positive as we've been made whole in Christ. Our feelings fall in line with where we're going with Jesus. But the problem is we're like snow globes, right? We're like little snow globes. We allow our desires to shake up our feelings, right? And it creates this internal storm within us. 
And it's all we can see. We can't see through the snow, whatever. But in Christ, when we can walk this out with Him, in Christ we're made, made still in the confidence of our faith. We're made still. And the storm within us subsides. It goes down. Feelings are still there. They may get churned up a little bit here and there. They can get churned up again if we allow our desires to take over like we did before. However, if we keep our eyes focused on Christ, all's well. All's well. The schisms are made easier and it brings solidity to life. By the way, all's well even if you don't keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He doesn't change. (laughs) We do. Right? No matter how I feel, Jesus is still in control, right? Faith in Christ and the hope it births allows us to stand in God's grace. And God's grace is His loving action towards us, which all leads to a living a life full of love. Full of it, right? That fruit we pick from the branches of our tree, should taste mostly of Christ-like love, followed by joy and peace and rounded out with all those other flavors of the Spirit. Love in the biblical sense is the will to promote someone's good for their own sake. Right? I love my wife. I want my wife. I want what's good for my wife. Right? The opposite, though, is malice. It's like intentional hurting people when you don't want what's good for them. And, and the absence of love is indifference. Like you just couldn't care less, right? And I don't know which, which is worse, malice or indifference, since, you know, when people grow up abused, when they grow up under a system of malice in a home, and then other people that grow up with neglect, a system of indifference in the home, they both seem to have difficulty in, child, in adulthood. They really do. There's not much different in the, difference in them. Everybody's different in the way they react to things. But overall, that's a generality. But typically, when you find somebody that has grown up in a good, strong, solid, Christian, loving home that's really walking with Jesus well together as a family, you, you seem to have, they seem to have a fortitude to be able to face life well. Moms and dads, how you parent, how you walk with Jesus, how you react in faith is very important for your children. Very important. Because growing up in that kind of a system, people don't seem to have all the baggage. Although the world can do a job on us too, right? The outside world. But love shouldn't be confused with romance. It shouldn't be confused with just simply desire. It is a decision. It is a condition that we live under. It is a willful act. And that's the difference between lust and love. Lust is very popular in America right now, right? I guess it always has been, (laughs) right? In lust, we don't really want the best for the thing that, which we desire. We don't really want the best for that. We wish only to consume it or to use it strictly for our own pleasure based only on feeling, right? However, when desire uh, comes under the reign of love, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. 
It's a wonderful thing. Most often, though, we confuse desire with love, which is just lust, and it's not the willful care of another. We just want what we want. Love characterizes the deepest essence of God, His will towards good in humanity and good in creation. It's impossible, since God is love, as the Scriptures tell us, for Him not to love. The world on its own, in its own current sinful state, uh, doesn't reflect this, this, this godly love, although it was intended to. It reflects it only in sort of broken ways. Uh, we were created in the image of God, but that image was shattered. It was broken. And now we only reflect Him in sort of like bits and pieces, like looking into a broken mirror. Until Christ puts that image back together again. And that's what we're talking about in this whole series. Instead, we are marked, marked more by pride, Right? Pride which is defined by desire and not love. Pride says that my desires and my feelings and you know all that stuff should be fulfilled above everything else. And if they aren't fulfilled, then I cry injustice. Oh, look at how I'm suffering. <laughs> you're not really suffering. You're just being a baby. Right? We have to remember what 1 John 2, 15-17 states. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of, of God lives forever. And later he states in chapter 4, 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now remember, Satan does not love. Right? And I do believe in Satan. And I do believe in all those things out there that are fighting against us. Satan does not love. He is absolutely, totally full of pride. And it would be better if he were simply indifferent to us, but he's not. He's full of malice. He wants to destroy you. And Ephesians 6.12, which we've quoted many times, and we'll keep doing it, says, for our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not other people that are our problem. And these powers seek to destroy the work of the Spirit within you. To keep your eyes not focused on Jesus. But the good news is that Christ's power resides in us and we can't be destroyed. Amen. Remember what John reminded us of last week, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side. All of us feel that, right? But we're not crushed. We're not. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair sometimes. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are never destroyed. Never, ever, ever are you going to be destroyed. 
In Christ, the good news is that we are justified before the judge. We, we, got, we get to go away free. We are made new. We are covered in His righteousness. We are sealed and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's wrath is averted from us. Since our sins have been paid for by Jesus on that cross. As God looks at you and He looks at me, He sees Christ's perfect record. Perfect record. That's what He sees now. And we are like an inner tube filled with the air of the Holy Spirit. And He allows us, He goes through life with us, taking the bolts and the jolts along with us all along as we roll along through life. But it is hot up here. We haven't gotten this one going yet. So it is hot up here. But Seth's like, yeah, it is. Right? But in that process of spiritual formation or sanctification in Christ, God's love is being made complete in us. 1 John 2 and 1 John 4. It is being made complete in us. It is. And if we remember what we said two weeks ago, that most of our fighting and most of our anger come out of a fear. But 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Right? We fear that we won't get what we want. We won't get what we feel or what we desire from someone else or from some situation. And it all leads us into anger because we don't go to the source of satisfaction in the first place. But we go to others who can't fulfill it. We constantly do that. Other people or other things. Or maybe it's just that we want what we want isn't what we need. We think we need it, but we don't really need it. Yet as we grow into Christ's likeness, all that is good, all that is, is not of God is pushed out of us and we begin to reflect the solid will and love of God in Christ. As we begin to reflect that love, we see that it happens in sort of four movements. Christ lays down His life for us, 1 John 3.16. And we see that, and it in turn makes us love God, 1 John 4.19. And then taking on that goodwill towards others, uh, the third movement happens where we start to love others, or we start to love one another, 1 John 4.12. So we find that the first great commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and all that kind of stuff, enables us to fulfill the second, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what happens then? Finally, number four, a community of loving people is built. Built up, which lives as a witness to God's love on this earth as seen in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, right? If you love one another. Or we might say that, you know, from the Lord's Prayer, His kingdom come, His will, which is His loving intention, Be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10. 
perfect love drives out fear and just eliminates pride and makes for great community. Remember in Galatians 5, we see this all accompanied with joy. Joy's primary feeling is, the feeling that uh, accompanies it is delight, right? It's a, it's a feeling of delight in the all-encompassing good which is well secured in Christ. Everything is well secured in Christ, so it wells, joy wells up in us. It's not the same as pleasure, although it's pleasant. Pleasure and pain are both linked to some sort of a specific object. The pleasure of eating potato chips, right? Or the pain of open, or, uh, touching an open flame, right? In joy, all is well despite pleasure or pain. It doesn't matter if you are feeling pleasure or feeling pain. You can still have joy. Love is the truest sense, in, in the truest sense, is always accompanied with joy. Always. Jesus left two things on the night before his crucifixion. Number one, he left peace. John fourteen twenty seven, which is strange. It's kind of ironic given all the turmoil that was going to happen. But it's indicative of him, right? Of our lives in him and living in faith and hope due to his work on the cross. So he he leaves us his peace. But he also left us with joy when he said, and notice how he speaks of fruit, he speaks of his words, and he speaks of his love in this passage, which seems to tie all this together. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my Father, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for, one, for one's friends. So if we, if we are remaining in Jesus, if we remain in him and, and he in us, our desires and our feelings fall in line with his desires and his feelings. And we ask for whatever we want, and then it'll be given to us, right? Since we're living out of true love then. Love and joy walk together, inseparable, right? If my kids ask me for something and it's not good for them, I'm not going to give it to them. I still love them. And that's a loving act, not to give it to them. But if they ask me for things, if they start to understand my heart for them and what's good for them, and they start to ask me for things that are healthy for them, I'm going to give that in abundance, right? As much as I can. Full joy. No room for any more, he says. That your joy may be complete. That that is a defense against all suffering and all temptation and all pain in life. Paul stated this. This is the kingdom of reign of God in Romans uh, 14, 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, of our pleasures, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So do we see how this is contrasted with uh, or or against the objects that we seek uh, in personal pleasure? When we live in line with the kingdom reign of God in our hearts, 
Christ's righteousness, which is his love, right? Peace and joy, all, all of that mark our lives. And everything else has little to no control over us. What a great way to live. That is freedom. That is freedom. The final taste of fruit, we're almost done. We should look at today as peace. Peace results in the assurance of how things will turn out. Right? Peace, which automatically faces life's difficulties with deep assurance, only comes out of the acceptance of the gift of life as found in the Son of, Son of God. We see this in Romans 5.12. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've gained access by faith into His grace in which we now stand. Right? In Christ, there's an assurance that all things will work together for my good. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what happens to me, I am still secure in Him. The giving up, it is, it is absolutely the giving up of trying to justify myself before God or before others or anything. I don't have to attain anything anymore. Jesus has given it to me. It is a confessing that I'm not totally competent in, in and of myself. I can't attain right standing or righteousness before God on my own. I need Jesus. Peace born out of our complete surrender to Him. And when life doesn't treat me well, or others take out their fears on me, I'm still okay. I'm still okay. Even if they kill me, I'm still okay. I'm not in control of the outcomes of life, of all this stuff around me, although I'd like to be. God is. God's in charge. Peace reigns in me as these things become, become part of my worldview, as Christ reshapes me and reforms me. To allow God to renovate our hearts is to surrender everything to Him. Allowing love and joy and peace and all these other attributes of the Christian life to well up into us due to being in His presence. Due to being around Jesus. So I receive from Him the life that Christ extends. I receive from God the life that Christ extends. I, I love Him in return because of what He's done for me. And then in turn from that, I love others. And then I receive love from them in the ministry of the Spirit of the body of Christ, right? We learn healthy inter- interdependence in communal witness of God's love on earth. And everybody can see that. The local church expressing Jesus. If you want to take the time to read our vision and values from the website and the, the mature Christian profiles for each one of those, that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Take the time to read that if you haven't. But in the end, I must cultivate a vision. I have to imagine what it's like for me to change in these ways, for what my life would look like being more like Jesus. I have to get that vision in me, and then I have to have an intention. I have to move toward my heart towards intending to, to allow him to work, to following him through life, and then I have to utilize the means to get, here, get there. And we've been talking about the means for weeks now, and we'll continue to talk about them. 
And I have to be honest with myself. Some of the feelings and some of the thoughts and some of the desires in me aren't in line with the love of God. I have to confess these, these to, to God. I, I might even have to confess them to others. Praying in the Spirit, you know, to, to see change in me is useful and to, to utilize other people in the process of that, right? I have to use scriptural promises, much of what we've talked about in this sermon alone, right? Believing in hope upon those promises, right? Drawing on them to bring assurance to my life and peace in this journey of faith. But many of us live with deep hurt and strong negative feelings towards certain people or certain situations in life. They are wounds which keep us from growing in love and in joy and in peace. Wounds which have really become a part of our identity and we cannot envision life without them. But they can be healed. And they can be removed by the power of the Word and by the power of the Spirit. They can. And sometimes it helps to meditate or to journal our thoughts, asking the Spirit to lead us, lead our hearts into change, to give us clear vision, to give us a strong intention, the will and the means to move forward with this stuff. Sometimes we need spiritual counsel from mature believers. We need it. I know I need it, right? And sometimes we need a more intensive counseling from even professionals as we tug at those frayed knots of our emotional uh, lives, right? We need to allow others to edify us, to build us up, to admonish us when we need it. People who remind us of who we are in Christ as we receive that ministry of the Spirit through the body of believers. We need that. But if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling joyless, if you're feeling far from being loved, or you're feeling far from being loving, I'd like you to know today that it does not have to be that way. If there is one emotion that just marks your life, if anger or bitterness or whatever it is, or loneliness or whatever it is just marks your life, it doesn't have to be that way. You can have freedom in these things. You can begin to find it. Feelings don't have to govern your life. You can mature in Christ and feel in ways which are healthy and life-giving. You can. You don't have to be controlled by negative thoughts, by negative patterns. And this is not like, you know, self-help. This is the power of the Word changing you. This is the power of the Spirit of God working in you. Giving Jesus a chance to bring you freedom. That's the difference. The Lordship of Christ. The curveball, right? Let me pray for us a little bit in this, this arena. Why don't you close your eyes with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come right now. Come and bring us more, just closer to your presence. Just deep, more deeply, (laughs) more uh, deeper down that rabbit hole. Just sort of, you're just kind of enveloping us and holding us and, and cradling us. 
I get that image of a hen, like with her chicks underneath her wing. Just your protection. Your love for your children. How strong that is. How powerful that is. And how as a parent, when you see your child living in ways that are hurtful to them, you just want them to understand they don't have to be that way. So dislodge those things in our heart that are holding us back, Father God. Just shake us up and loosen those things in us. Pull them out like old dead weeds. Just yank them out, root and all, to the very bottom of of how they've rooted themselves into our soul. Just pull those roots out, Father God. All those sins, all those negative thoughts, all those feelings that stand in the way of our just finding total, absolute peace and joy and faith and hope in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and bring freedom. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you for... um...